How many of you glad to be at God's house tonight? Amen. All right. I appreciate you. Philippians chapter number three. Philippians chapter number three. I'm going to begin to read with verse number one. Philippians chapter number three. Begin to read with verse number one. Continuing the the thought tonight on the exceptional man. It's an amazing thing that we've uh, had the discussions and everything we've had even this day. And uh, in my opportunity to study for this message tonight, I probably had no other message in quite some time, more of a study in quite some time that has affected me any more than my study for this message this week. Uh, we're going to be looking at the exceptional man's goals. The exceptional man's goals. What our goals are. We're going to come down to where the rubber meets the road and get down to, and listen, I know that this is going to be directed at men tonight, but this is a message that can help us all. It can help us, any one of us, understand what, what we think of ourselves sometimes, how complacent we get. Philippians chapter number 3, found your place and you're able, would you stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God, Philippians chapter number 3. And beginning to read with verse number 1. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, said, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision." We are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have wherever he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained, from, gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, 
if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to, to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything, anything <clears throat> ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege tonight that we could stand one more time, O oh God. Lord God, you know the need of the hour. You know, Father, our hearts tonight. You know what we stand in need of. God, I need unction from on high again as I stand to preach and teach your word. God, I need your help. Lord God, I don't need folks to say anything good about me. I don't need to have any accolades of myself. God, I'd sure like to see a difference made in our lives tonight. God, that each person here, that we could look at ourselves. We could measure up what thus saith the word of God. God, our life could be made different. God, help us that we could be a people that would have our hearts affected. We could be after your heart. God, would you help us and bless us, we pray. Forgive me, God, of my failures and help those that said pray for me. God, most of all, help those tonight that don't know Jesus from the free pardon of their sin. And I'll be careful to praise you, God, for I do love you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you and be seated. <clears throat> we read the first 15 verses of chapter number 3 of Philippians, and we read, you'd say, uh, Paul's ex exaltation into the church at Philippi, telling of his accomplishments of life and then what he thought about those accomplishments that he had in life. Uh, he, he spoke of, of what all he had gathered, what all he had accomplished as being a, a religious man, then, then he spoke of what he thought about those accomplishments he had in the, as being a religious man. As we look back over the past few weeks, we've studied and we've looked at the exceptional man, and there's been several subjects, and we've got a few more that we're going to go over as well. But so far, we've looked at the exceptional man's God. We determined whether or not that our God is the true and living God. We've looked at how our relationship with God is, uh, is, 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 is an exposure of who our God is and what we think of our God, how our relationship with Him stands. And it's kind of a sobering moment when you begin to think about that. And, well, we're not re-preached that, but, but uh, we looked at, at, the, at the exceptional a uh, man's gumption last week, and and uh, and we looked at just having gumption. I had a fella to contact me, and and he'd watch our watch our our live, and he went back and watched it. It wasn't live. He's from Georgia, and, and he said, "I, I work uh, uh, I work a job that's a man's job." He said, and "He said I, I thought I had gumption until I listened to your message Sunday night, and and I realized that I I don't have near the gumption that I thought I had." And and he, he thanked me for preaching it. And, 
and, and I know that's the way I feel when I get through studying these things. And, and, uh, and for God help us that we could, we could see that I, I'm not picking on nobody when I'm preaching these things. But if I had anything to affect my life and to, to cause me, Brother Joe, to think upon me, uh, it's this message this week. And uh, that it, it's, uh, it's caused me to think in a more deliberate manner concerning what my real desires are. Today we're looking at the exceptional man's goals. I'll ask you this, this this evening. If you had to compile a list of your ambitions or goals, and I'm talking about being Judgment Day honest. I'm talking about the things that sit on the top of your to-do list, the things that's, uh, that's more important to you than anything else. If you had to c compile that list, could you do it? Could you compile that list? Could you put it up and, and, and write down the things and, uh, that, that, that you really desire in your life? When you got through with that, that, that list, uh, uh, can I ask you this? And again, I, I want you to be honest. How much of that would have to do with God? How, how much of that list would have to do with God? How much of it would have to do with the church? And how much of it would have to do with the work of God? Or, would God be anywhere in the intentions of our goals? Would, would, would our goals have anything to do with God? You know, as you begin to think about that, and you think that if you stand before God that knows the truth about you, and God's the one judging the list, and God's the one grading the paper, and you, ha you have nothing to do but tell the truth, and, then, boy, I'm telling you, that gets to be a sobering moment. What I want to do, what, what do I want out of life? And, Really, in all, in all reality, many of us float through life without the, uh, the, the, the faintest spiritual desire. Uh, we've learned uh, how to, to get by. We've learned how to exist spiritually. Sure, we may say that one day I'd love to have a new bass boat. Amen. I'd love to have me a new 6.5 Creedmoor. Right? Are we, are we okay right there so far? Right? Uh, there's a lot of those goals that we'd love to have. Now, I'm not telling you there's anything wrong with those things, but I'm telling you they're, if they're out of place, there's plenty wrong with them. When they get to be what's, what motivates us and what we work for in our life more than we consider God, more than we consider the work of God, more than we consider the souls of men, more than we consider the things of God's church in that business. Many of us would say, I'd sure love to be more spiritual. I'd love to be more Christ-like. I'd, I'd love to be a better soul winner. What makes us like this? That's the question that we can ask tonight is, why are our goals always seem like they're temporal if we have any goals at all. Things that we'll strive for. Things that we'll push toward. Things that we'll labor for. Things that'll keep us awake and keep us out of our comfort zone. Listen to what Paul said in the last two verses of Scripture. Last, verse 14. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
That word press has an implication. It, it, it implies that, that it's labored for. It's striven after. It's sought diligently. That word press has a, has a meaning that, that, that it's not just nonchalantly attained, but, but it means that there has to be some special effort that's put forth in order to get to where that Paul said he was getting to be and, and what he wanted. I, I look at a man in the Bible that, uh, that, that he, he's told us in this chapter the things in which that, that he had and, and the things that which he had attained, he, uh, the, uh, how he was. He was uh, of the tribe of Benjamin. He was Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, 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 man, all these things that he listed him. And he said all these things that he counted uh, lost are, are but dung for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. And, and then he begins to tell us in verse 9 and 10, he begins to tell us about some things that, that he that, that identify that striving and that he, he, he pushes toward now. He says, I, I want a, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable into his death. And, and we'll get to that just a little bit later. But, but the exceptional man's goals, I wonder tonight uh, how many of us uh, would say right now that, that I have goals, uh, my goals are spiritual goals, my goals are, are what uh, motivates me, my spiritual goals drive me, my spiritual goals is what wakes me up in the morning, and the last thing I think about when I go to bed at night, uh, it's my spiritual goals. I believe if you were to ask Paul that, I believe Paul would say, yes, sir. It's what I wake up thinking about, and it's what I go to bed thinking about. Wouldn't you think so? I strive for the mark of the prize of the high calling. What, what makes these things seem impossible? Any of us strive at times for these things? And then what do we find ourselves in just a little while falling off the side? Am I the only one that's that way? strive for a while and begin to want to have a difference in my life and want to have a greater relationship with God and it'll last for just a little while, Brother Joe, and then something derails me and sidetracks me. What makes this? Number one, I want to look at, first of all, some plagues. I want to look at the plague of apathy. The plague of apathy. The word apathetic is a word that could describe most men today. And I could go to Webster's 1828 and pull up the definition of apathy, and, and I've probably got it written here in my notes, and I'll probably get to it in a minute. But, uh, but in all in all, if you want to get to what the, the real definition of the word apathy means, it means that there's just, we just don't care. We just really don't care. Just really have no desire. We just really don't care what anybody thinks, what anybody says. We don't care what the preacher says, what the church says. We don't care what God says. We just really don't care. The preacher can preach it. God the Holy Ghost can prick our heart and our spirit could be broken. We could weep and cry and, uh, and, and if, we, if we would and, and we know we're guilty, but I just really don't care 
to change things. Many times we'll get motivated, but we fail to stay motivated. Many times we'll, we'll be moved, but by the time church service is over, we thought we'd forgotten about that many. I preached this morning on lingering and a lifetime of lingering and, and the altars. There were many of you on the altar, but I, I wonder how many times throughout the day that, that you thought and, and that you say, well, boy, I've lingered about things in my life and, and how, how much of an effect has that made on our life today? Or have we already forgotten about it? You see, that's how our relationship with God seems to work anymore. It seems to be that we, uh, that, that we lose interest real quickly. I watch children sometimes, and they'll get something and play with it. And, and I, I, uh, Hayden at the house, when Hayden's there at the house, my mom's got a closet, and it's a toy closet. And they, uh, all the kids know where the toy closet is. Hayden will get in there, and they'll, he'll, he'll get him something, and he'll bring it out there, and he'll play with it. Many, he'll throw it down, and then he's gone back, and he's, got, he's no longer interested in that thing there. I believe there's a little bit dealing with immaturity that might cause us to lose interest real quickly in the things of God. Sometimes we want to think ourselves to be more, more spiritually mature than what we really are. Just because we can quote Bible verses don't mean that we're spiritually mature. Just because we know what the Bible says don't mean that we're spiritually mature. We're, we're not maturing until those things begin to be applied in our life, until we make them a part of our life, until we place them into our life, until we allow those things to, to move and, and, and make us into what we need to be. Well, you know, you think about this. What, what, I thought about this apathy thing, and I, I thought about, you know, uh, uh, many times that we'll, we'll have a, a, a car that'll leak oil, and that thing'll leak oil, and leak oil, and leak oil, and we'll, we'll, we'll and you can tell when it's leaked over because when you move it off the carport of the driveway, there's an oily spot there. And, uh, and boy, you, you know, you look at that thing and, boy, I'm going to have to fix that one day. I'm going to have to get it fixed. But next time, there's another oily spot there. And it seems to never be fixed. Uh, uh, there's a toilet leaking in the house. And, and you know, uh, that, that, that thing's leaking. And, boy, I'm going to have to fix it one day. But right now, I'm going to shove the garbage can underneath there and catch the water that's leaking. Y'all know where I'm coming from. That is the work of an apathetic person. We really don't care. The wife has cleaned your house all day. She's mopped. She's swept. She's vacuumed. And you come in. You're tired. And I know you got every right. And you got your muddy work boots on. And you tromp right through the house with your muddy work boots on. You really don't care what she's done. All that's important is you. It's my house, bless God. Yeah, but that's your wife, too. And she's labored. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to get into your business. I'm just telling you that, that we live a life of apathy. What is apathy? I told you it's really just not caring, but I'll tell you what, what Webster said in the 1828. Apathy is want of feeling. And his description is like this. He said, in his, you know how they give descriptions under a definition? It's, it's description, I like it better than I do the definition. It says, want of feeling, then the, then, then the description is, nothing really matters. Now, 
Apathy is one of the worst plagues a man faces today. And don't sit here tonight and tell me that you don't face it. Don't, t don't sit here tonight and tell me you're not dealt with about it. Don't sit here tonight and tell me that, uh, that, that, that you're, I preach you, I don't have that problem. I'll, I'm not calling you a liar, but I'll tell you, I don't believe you. To a certain extent, we all are plagued with the, with the disease of apathy. Now, what is, uh, apathy is not ignorance. It, it's not that men are stupid. But that it was a, that we're not just we're just not concerned enough to change things. Did you hear me? It's that we're just not. It's not we're stupid. It's not that we we don't you know we we elevator don't go out. We understand things. But it's just we're not concerned enough to do anything about it. Those of you in the men meeting tonight, we heard some things, didn't we? I don't know about you. It, it may, you say, well, uh, it didn't set real well with me. I, that's okay. But we all must attest that, that the truth was spoken. But is it going to change things? Or are we apathetic? What kind of spiritual goals do you have in your life? Anybody? Have you set a goal in your life today or this week or last week or a month or past month or this year that says, I want to please God? I want to do more for Him? Or what has your goals been? No, these ain't swinging from the chandelier messages. I believe if we'll listen to them, I believe if we'll, we'll apply them, I believe that it can make a great difference in our life if we will allow God to minister into our hearts and, and, and desire to change things. What kind of goals do you have? Number two, how many folks, how many of you men would say tonight that I really want to take control of my life? Anybody, anybody say that? I really want to take control of my life. Can I tell y'all something? You do have control of your life. I'm not being smart, Alec, but you do have control of your life. The legacy you leave behind when you die will be entirely your choice. Did you know that? What you leave behind you will be what you have chosen to leave behind. It's not anybody else that's making these decisions. Uh, it, you know, I got this wrote down in, in quotations. Anybody that, that even became somebody had to do it in spite of everybody. Any, anybody that became somebody had to do it in spite of everybody. Sure, we can say, I blame this one. 
I blame that one. I, it, it'd be easier if she didn't bother me. It'd be easier if she didn't nag me. It'd be easier if she did what I, what I told her to do. It'd be easier if he did this, if my boss wouldn't ride me. So it'd be easier for this. It'd be easier if I had plenty of money. You, you make those decisions. You're, 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 you're the dictator of your life. You're the one that chooses what you're going to do, what you're going to leave behind. What you're, what, and you're the one that ultimately has made the choices that's got you where you are today. The victim society, and, and let me tell you something, we're raising a bunch of victims today. I want to go ahead and tell you that, uh, that, that what we find today, uh, why they'll uh, scream and cry and tear the, the stores up and everything else is because that they've been raised to be a victim. Well, uh, my mom and daddy's the cause. You're, no, they're not. My daddy was a drunkard. He did not make me a drunkard. I had that choice to make myself. It helped out a whole lot when I got saved. It helped out a whole bunch when I met Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, I could have still chosen that path that I'd have desired to. But, but I didn't want that path. I seen what it brought. I seen what a broken home. I knew what it was like to be raised in a broken home, going to mama's house and to daddy's house and to mama's house. And I didn't want that. So I chose. And I choose every day. That's my bride. I love her. I love her every day of her life. I got in bed early this morning. She was laying there asleep, and I, I just laid in this. I ain't told her this. I'm telling y'all together. She was laying asleep, and I know she had been struggling for the past few nights. And and I thank God, and I thank God for giving her to me. I just laid there and looked and said, "Thank you, Lord, for what you've given me in my wife." I'm glad I don't have to come home in the evening wondering if she's been faithful to me. But we chose this life. We did set a goal. Back in 1985 or 86, that when we would marry, 86 when we got married, but I don't remember if we'd done it before or, or that time, but when we married, we're going to stay married. And we've worked on it. Brother Bradley, it ain't always been easy. I'd love to say, boy, y'all, ain't none of y'all had it like we had. We just, no, we've had some rough patches. We've had some hard times. But I can say over the past 37 years almost, I think, that I can count on probably the appendages on my body, how many nights I've slept, that I've stayed away from her in that length of time. Because I've chosen to. I've chosen. I made those decisions. Didn't nobody make me make wrong decisions. I'm not anybody's victim. The things that I've done wrong, 
it's because I've had wrong choices. Right? Well, Daddy and Mama raised me. And all this. if Daddy hadn't treated me like this, I'd have, oh, get off of it. Get off of it. That's a pitiful, poor excuse. If Mama hadn't been so rough on me and made me wash him dishes and made me dry them clothes and forth, get off of it, you lazy self. You're the way you are tonight because you're choosing to be the way you are. You're as spiritual as you are tonight because you've chosen to be as spiritual as you are. You're as close to God tonight as because you're as you are, and because you've chosen to be that close to God or to be that far away. You're in a in a distant country tonight because you've chosen to live in that distant country. You made a conscious decision of to leave the Father and to dwell in a land in which you do not belong, and therefore there is penalties, there's troubles that come because of it. You may not see them right now, but I'll tell you, there's gonna come a day when the hog food's gonna look good to you and you're going to wood to God and that you can go back to your father's house. You have control. Your spiritual success, you know what it's got to do? It's got to be on purpose. It's got to be worked on. I know. Boy, you listen to some of those folks that are so heavenly minded, they know earthly good. And it'll sound like, boy, it's just, whew, you'll just hover around on You just hover around and float around and, and you just about got wings. That's it. You, when somebody tells you all how easy it is to live for God, you look, look at them right now and say, you a liar. You ain't telling the truth. Paul said, I press toward the mark. I press toward it. I get up in the morning, and it's what's on my mind, and I'm motivated. There's something about me that makes me want to go this way. I strive. I, I fight. I go. I move. I'm, I'm going that way. I don't want to fall backwards. I don't want to be uh, 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 in, in a deficit. I want to be going towards the Lord, not falling away. Your spiritual well-being is not by chance. You know what it is? It's a daily pursuing of God's will and God's plan for your life. It's a daily pursuing. It's, it means, Brother Philip, when you wake up in the morning, that you wake up in the morning and you say, I'm going to chase after God today. And it means about 7.30 or 8 o'clock then in the morning that you come to yourself again and you say, God, I want to chase after you today. I need to chase after you today. I want to run your way. Then about 9 or 10 o'clock, you got to determine in yourself again that, that I'm going to chase after God today. And then about noonday, you've got to make a conscious decision that I'm going to, I'm going to run to God. I'm going to serve. I mean, it's constant throughout the day. Nobody, nobody can do it without effort. Nobody can do it without effort. Your success must be on purpose. You've made your choices. You know what the difference is between those that are spiritual 
And those that are not spiritual, effort. That sounds so simple, doesn't it? The difference between those that are living for God and being pleasing to God and those that are not is effort. So let me ask you this, number three. What are your plans? Most of the goals today, let's face it, be honest with me. I mean, I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to give somebody the opportunity. And I want you to be, I want you to be judgment day honest with me. Don't try to get all holy right now and make your halo float around. Anybody want to share with me what you woke up this morning as your number one goal was in life? Anybody want to share that? Brother Stephen? Go back to sleep. Thank you, brother. That's truthful. That's being that's the truth. I mean, you say, well, that's kind of silly. No. That's truth. What's your goal? What's your ambition? What are your plans? Most goals today are most by most men are, are financial goals. Save money. Have a good retirement. Be financially secure. Get out of debt. And there's, there's nothing wrong with working in those directions, but when those things come before your goals for God, things are out of order. But while all of these things are, if, if it's to save money, to have a retirement, and to, to be financially secure, if those are your goals, which direction is your life headed? If I keep going in this direction, where am I going to end up? Can I ask you that today? Well, Mark, if you keep going in the direction you're in right now, where are you going to end up? Well, think about it. That's, that's not an unlogical question, is it? If you continue in, in, in going in the direction you're headed right now, where's the end going to be? I know we don't like to ask ourselves that. But that's the reason we, con we constantly, in a condition of apathy, is because the exceptional man has exceptional goals. It's not the same goals that all the other men have. The exceptional man has a goal that I want to be pleasing to my heavenly father. Would you say that Paul was an exceptional man? I would. But that's Paul, preacher. Surely you're not putting us in the category with him. I would to God. You'd show me the difference between us and him. Sure, he wrote the parts of the Bible. 
Sure, but you know why? Because he was an exceptional man. God chose him to do that because of his life, because of the way he chose to live, because of the direction that he lived in his life. So, Dick, if you end up on the same condition that you're going right now, where's the end going to be? Brother Dean? Connor? You wind up in the same direction you're going right now, where's your end going to be? I wonder if some of us are going to wind up in church. I wonder if there's going to be something that's going to take us completely out. If you're on the, if, 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 oh, please help me. I'm trying to show you. And I would to God I could open up and show you what God helped me with and, and show me. We're determining our outcome here tonight. When you get up in the morning, you're going to determine the outcome of your life tomorrow. And the decisions you make right now could eventually and will eventually affect you, your family. It'll affect how your family strives to serve God. It'll affect everything there. Watch your purpose in life. Is it just to survive? Or is it becoming a man that God is well pleased with? I'm not talking about necessarily just daily. But I'm talking about finishing well. 2 Timothy 4, 7, you all know the scripture. Paul said in his end of his life, he wrote to Timothy. Notice what he said. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul is not Superman. Paul is a, is a man that deals with the same things that you and I deal with on a daily basis. His flesh is still flesh. But his desires and his goals were different. Look at that testimony he gave. He wasn't able to give that testimony by chance. It wouldn't just happen to be. But he gave that testimony because he stayed the course. He did not falter. He did not stay away. He did not, he did not decelerate. You know, what was Paul's motivation, preacher? You think it might could have been that, well, he said in that same scripture, henceforth, the Lord has given unto me a crown of righteousness, Ooh. which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give unto all them that love is appearing. 
Or could it be that he was looking for a day when he would parade before the master to give an account of himself before a holy God? And as he looked up into the eyes of the God of glory, the God of glory beheld Paul, the man of God. And the words that came from the God of heaven, well done, my son. Well done, Paul. You've been faithful over a few things. Now I make you rule over many. Enter. Woo, enter into the joy of the Lord. has to do with his goals. Paul's goals are outlined in, 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 in these verses, verses 10 through 13, Philippians chapter 3 here. Look at verse 10. We see first of all that Paul, his goal was, was, was familiar, familiarity, being familiar with the Lord. Look what he said, that I may know him. That I may know him. How has that come about? That comes back by study, doesn't it? By the study of the Word of God. Not only was it familiarity, but, but we find that, that Paul wanted some force in his life. He said, the power of his resurrection. How does that come about? By the feeling, by being filled and controlled by the Spirit of God. By submitting yourself and allowing yourself to be directed by God's Holy Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. And then he said there was some fellowship, the fellowship of his sufferings. How does that come about by the suffering? Paul said of the things that he faced of the Lord's, those things that, that he faced, Paul, he told all the things that he went through. And all those things that he went through was for the cause of Christ, so Christ could be seen. And then he said there was some fashioning. He said being made conformable unto his death. How does that happen? By submission. By surrendering your life and submitting your will unto his will. Then it goes on and, and you get in verse 13. Brother, and I count not myself to apprehend it, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. I see the focus there. And there is the, what is the focus? He said, forgetting those things. How does that come about? By surrender. And then the fulfillment. Paul said, my goal is fulfillment right there, reaching forth into those things. How does that come about? By stamina. By staying the course. So, so, so I want to ask you tonight, who are you trying to please? To please man with our lives could be our goal. Could be your goal for men to like you. You're trying to please your family. You're trying to please your wife or your boss. You even try, so many people try to please everybody. But I want to tell you this, you'll never please God that way. Paul said in Galatians 1 and 10, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Did he say that, Joe? 
if what you do is not pleasing to God, you know what it is? It's a complete waste of time. Then lastly, I'm done. I want to ask you this last question. Are you for real? Brother Bradley often says when he's teaching the Sunday school lesson about having a for real moment. I want, to, I want you to have a for real moment right now, okay? Are you for real? Why do you do what you do for God? Why are you doing what you do? You know what there's a lot of preachers preach? But it's not because of the Lord. I'm not saying they're not God called. But since they've been God called, they'd rather men see them than they had God be pleased with them. Why do you do what you do? There's a whole lot of folks that do things that their heart's not even in. We talked about that some this evening. You know what? You know what? What'll make it a whole lot easier to get things lined up in the house of God? Brother Will, you know what'll make it a whole lot easier to get things get things like they need to be for the men and everybody else in church? You know, you know what it. You know what it. What it. What it's going to take for that? It, it, it's a. Uh, what what it's what's going. What it's going to take for that is. Is for us just to. Get our heart in it. Many of us don't have our heart in it. Right? Amen. This means yes. Your body's here, but your heart's not. Is that the way you want to wind up this life? Is that the way you want to meet the Lord? That's the way many of us are living. Many of us are living with our, with our body being faithful to the house of God, but our heart being in a distant land. Many of us are, are living with, with, with our, our bodies being present, but our hearts are in terrible shape. And we've used the excuse, well, I, you don't know what I face. You, don't, you ain't faced nothing nobody else hadn't at times. You're where you are tonight because you've chosen to be where you are. You're not in love with God. You could care less about the things of God. You're not worried about the welfare of nobody. You just don't care about the things of God. And the sooner you acknowledge that and you, can, you, you repent of that, then the sooner you'll get your business fixed with him and get on the right track. I'm going to tell you, about 6 o'clock in the morning, on Monday morning of like this past week, I, on my study floor, uh, that when God spoke these things in my heart, and when he let me see it, I saw just where I was standing and just where I was. And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, me and him, had to, I had to have a, a coming home with him because, listen, folks, I can go through the motions as good as anybody. I can go, uh, play the, work, the task as good as anybody. But I, I don't want to meet the Lord in a wayfaring way. I don't want to meet him with my heart being in a far country. I don't know how long it's going to be before he comes. When he comes, I'd sure love for him to be pleased with me. 
Many of us portray an image of being spiritual, but we're not spiritual. Also, touch something to Timothy like that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, about verse number 5. He said, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Listen to what Paul said. From such, turn away. Y'all know in redneck language what Paul said right there? Timothy, stay away from hypocrites. Why don't you do more from God? You want to answer that? Why don't you do more for God? We're preaching to men, but but, but women, why don't, why don't you do more for God? Well, preacher, you don't understand what, what all I do. I may not. But are, why are you doing it? Are you doing it for a pat on the back? Are you doing it so people can see you and talk about how good you've been and how faithful you are? Or are you just doing it because you love him? And I thank God for those of you I thank God for each one of you. I love you. And I don't hope you. I hope you don't think I'm preaching mean to you because I'm not. But are you for real? Really, are you real? Or are you fake? Why don't you do more for God? Is it laziness? Is there no vision? Maybe you're just too selfish with your time. Your time is your time. It's not God's time. I'm going to say this, and I'm done. I'm done. You know what I found out through the years? There's never been a problem solved. It hasn't been diagnosed first. You got something wrong with you, the doctor's going to try to find out what it is before they can start treating you. Ain't that right? You ain't got to have a doctor to figure this out. You just got to have that for real moment with yourself. Are you fake? Are you for real? Are you a phony? What's your goal? What's your goal? 